Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue BTN.com, and we took a week off for the 4th of July holiday, so I hope everyone had a great 4th of July, had a great extended week, especially you know if you're able to kind of finesse that long vacation with the 4th of July falling on a Wednesday. I'm sure a lot of you out there you know, just said, you know what, I'll take Thursday and Friday off, and I uh, got a nice little long weekend out of it, so I hope everyone had a good time. And we are back this week at the Take 10 Podcast with a couple of great guests, and there are a couple of basketball-related guests as we move along here on our uh, summer run of episodes on the show. First guest to lead it off here is former Wisconsin basketball player Marcus Landry, who played from 2005 to 2009 in Madison, played on some uh, great Wisconsin teams, some historic Wisconsin teams that uh, we actually discussed in depth a couple weeks ago when we had Brian Butch on the show, another player from that era. Definitely check that episode out as well if you listen to Marcus coming up here and enjoy it. Um, we had Marcus on the show just to discuss his basketball career at Wisconsin, as we always do with former players. He also chatted about his almost decade-long career playing professionally. He had a cup of coffee in the NBA. He's bounced around in the D-League and most recently has been playing overseas where he was the MVP in uh, Italy's top-tier league. So plenty of stories that Marcus was able to share and uh, had a great time chatting with him. Always love talking about players from Wisconsin, especially from that Bo Ryan era, uh, or any era really in the last 20, 25 years when they've had so much success as a program. So we had Marcus on first, and then uh, for our second guest in this show, we changed it up a little bit, went a little bit outside the Big Ten circles to chat with our guest, but it doesn't mean that he'll be unfamiliar to many of the fans listening. Uh, Our second guest is Cleveland Cavaliers play-by-play radio man, John Michael, and I figured with you know, LeBron James in the news so much recently with the NBA, him leaving Cleveland to sign with the LA Lakers and just that whole decision-making process that's kind of fascinated and, and compelled uh, basketball fans around the country. I figured we have access to John. We should get him on and uh, pick his brain about his experiences with LeBron James, his career calling Cavs basketball, and his actually really unique career coming up in sports broadcasting, which he gets into and it is really interesting because he definitely had an unconventional road to the broadcast booth. So uh, not as Big Ten related, but definitely in that Big Ten footprint of Ohio and, and plenty of Midwestern fans are Cavaliers fans as well. So I hope that overlap and that crossover is, is there for this episode. And, and uh, even if it's not, for your personal fandom, uh, I think you'll enjoy hearing about how John uh, kind of perceived this, this departure of LeBron for the second time around. And just the overall experiences of, of being the Cavs play-by-play man. It's really some interesting stuff. So stay tuned for both of those guests. Marcus and John are coming right up. First, a couple of reminders here on the Take 10 podcast that we always get out of the way before the interviews. Um, number one, please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the show if you have not already. Leave a review for us on any of the podcast streaming platforms that you may be listening on, whether that's iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Podbean. We're also now on YouTube, so you can subscribe there as well. So subscribe to any of those uh, above platforms. Subscribe on those to the Take 10 Podcast and leave a positive rating, review, etc. All right, and one more reminder. We have an ongoing coupon code available on the btn.com online store. You can use to take 10% off any order on that btn.com online store, which is full of Big Ten merchandise, gear, swag, whatever you need. You can get it on the btn.com online store and use the promo code TAKE10. It's capital T-A-K-E, the number one and zero. Take 10% off your order on the btn.com online store. Do that through the Take 10 podcast with the promo code. Once again, take 10. 
All right, those reminders behind us. Let's get to our pair of interviews here on the Take 10 Podcast. First up, we've got former Wisconsin Badger Marcus Landry. He discusses his Wisconsin playing career, his professional playing career, some overseas stories, and a whole lot more. So that interview starts Marcus Landry right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by a former four-year player for the Wisconsin Badgers from 05 to 09, one of the winningest Badgers in program history. He is now enjoying a lengthy basketball career overseas. It's Marcus Landry. You can follow him on Twitter at MarcusLandry11. How's it going, Marcus? It's going pretty good. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. I appreciate you joining me today. And uh, off the top, I mentioned your, your overseas career, and we'll get to that in a second on what you've been up to. But since this is the off season, that means you have some time for some activities here stateside, and that includes a basketball camp you put on with your siblings. So can you tell me about that right off the bat here? Yeah, it's a basketball uh, camp for kids um, that we put on between me, my brother, and sister, who are all are still playing professional basketball at this, this time. And yeah, we're just trying to find a way to give back to all the kids and involve them. There's a lot of things going on in this world, and just trying to give back to everyone and uh, show them that you can do something great. You can, you know, still be a great influence and be positive and and, uh, and live a good life. So that's what we're doing there. And that's in your uh, your hometown community, right, in Milwaukee? Yep, that's in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, yep. Awesome. And, and I, I imagine that uh, means a little more than, you know, to be able to give back to your, your hometown and kind of the roots where you came up. Yeah, I mean, it means a lot more. I mean, it's, you know, words can't describe what it means for us. And uh, we just try to to stay uh, uh, along the lines of faith, family, and education. You know, you stick with those things, you'll be all right. You mentioned your siblings uh, who still play professionally, including Carl, who I know a lot of Purdue fans are listening, will recognize playing in the NBA as well. Um, so does it get competitive with you guys still? You know, you guys are you're all professional players. You guys uh, compete a little bit even at this age? Uh, not anymore. Not at this age. Uh, things are kind of uh, more along the lines of uh, retirement, I guess. <laughs> But a lot less competing. How about growing up? Were you were you guys competitive growing up, growing up uh, as you know hoopers that were their siblings as well? Oh yeah, of course. Um, we've gotten a lot of a lot of fights over basketball, and uh, you know it was very competitive. Even my sister, very competitive, and uh, you know still to this day we talk about those those old times of playing basketball out front. Who would win those battles? Well, you know, usually always the oldest win, so. Every once in a while, we'll we'll get him, but he always won. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I want to get into your overseas and, and professional career uh, because just reading off the list of teams you played for, there are a ton of teams I don't even think I can like pronounce the name. So for, <laughs> the, for those who uh, those Wisconsin fans, you know, who maybe have kept up with you but don't know all your all your stops, can you kind of take me through where your path has taken you professionally since you left Wisconsin almost a decade ago. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, we'll start from the beginning, of course, the uh, New York Knicks. I was there, traded to Boston, jumped around from various different teams after that, um, from Sacramento, in and out of the D-League. And then my first career overseas took me to uh, Spain. I played about three years in Spain for three different teams. Also played in China. Also played in Puerto Rico and Venezuela. Um, now I'm currently in Italy. And, um, yeah, played in Hong Kong as well. Um, several different uh, tryouts with different NBA teams for a short period of time. But um, kind of been all over. Kind of been all over. Do you have any stops that stood out to you in particular as, you know, maybe you 
like the the culture or the just the area a little bit better? Any of those stops uh, that are taking you all over the world stand out? Well, yeah, um, I got a chance to play in China um, for Yao Ming, his team, and uh, that was just unbelievable. Um, I really like the culture. Um, most people are like, well, how do you eat that food? But um, it wasn't as bad as what people think. So <laughs> it was a great stop for me, great uh, experience and learning experience. So was Yao the owner, the coach? What was he over there? Yao was the owner. He was the owner. Yeah. And what was he like personally? Oh, he was great. I mean, he was huge, but uh, he was just, he was, you know, normal guy and, you know, spoke English, everything. Um, he was just unbelievable owner and a very professional guy. So That was probably one of the first times you felt really, really short standing next to him. Yeah, of course. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Tall, tall guy. All right, you mentioned, uh, you know, you played in Italy. That's that's where you've been most recently, and you're still playing at a high level because you won the MVP of that uh, top Italian league recently. So what's the level of competition over there like? Um, and are there some players that Big Ten fans might recognize that you go up against over there? Uh, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. But uh, the competition is, uh, is is really, really good. Um, there's so many teams overseas that you don't always get to play against, you know, a lot of Big Ten guys. But you see them in and out, and uh, it's always a blessing to see guys, you know, still, still um, following their dream. Marcus, do you have any like crazy or wild stories from overseas? Because when I talk to players who play overseas, they always seem to have something wild that that comes up. Like you know, maybe they're not getting paid or some crazy experience with fans. Does anything like off the top of your head from all your stops uh, jump well, out yeah. that kind of encapsulates that you know that overseas lifestyle? Yeah, um, I was in one place and uh, it, the owner kind of played a trick on me. But I've heard stories like this in the past. Um, I was on my way home and I was still owed some money and he's like come by my house and I was like oh man I, I really don't want to go by this guy's house I don't know you know who, you know I don't really know who he is I haven't built a relationship with him like that and uh, I go by there and he never answers the door his wife comes to the door with a big jar of like coins and she hands it to me and I'm looking around like what am I supposed to do I mean it was a massive jar of just coins and there was some dollars and stuff in there and he was like, this is exactly uh, the amount we owe you. Or she said, this is exactly the amount we owe you, a little more. And she hands it to me and, and closes the door. I'm like, oh, come on, man. And uh, it, it was just crazy. I mean, later on, he, he comes running out as I was, you know, about to just turn around. And uh, he, he he pays me, you know, the, the right amount and he takes back the coins. But that was like a crazy moment because I thought for sure I would be flying home with a, with a thing of coins. So. Uh, That's I don't insane. have too many crazy, crazy stories like some people have, but um, yeah. But still, the owner it just shows like how you know outlandish the owners and can get over there. You know, just playing the mind games like like that like I did. That's nuts. Um, yeah. What was of maybe course, yeah. what was maybe the biggest culture shock from all your stops overseas? You mentioned China was different um, with the food and everything, <clears throat> but were there any other culture shocks just as far as living your life uh, outside the basketball court goes? Um, I think Spain was uh, a big culture shock because it was the first place that I, I went, um, and I went during like Christmas time, so everything was closed. Couldn't find any food, so like the first week I was there, I was starving. But um, as things went on, it was, the big culture shock for me was that um, I I couldn't get things that I wanted when I wanted, like in America, you know, if I wanted to eat, you know three hours past lunchtime, 
I can go and find a restaurant that can serve me food. But in um, in Spain, that's like impossible. You know, everything shuts down for um, in between uh, right after lunch and right before dinner. So it's like impossible to find food. So that was a big culture shock. It really keeps you on a, a schedule. But uh, it helps. But that was uh, one of the rough times of my life because it was the first time going overseas. Because yeah. doesn't Spain, like, they eat at, like, 10.30 p.m. for dinner, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, after after 1 o'clock, nothing's open until, like, 9.30. <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was over there recently, and that was, like, crazy to me, too, how I was trying to eat dinner at, like, a normal time, 6 or 7, and nobody's eating till till 10.30. So yeah. it's funny you mentioned that. That's totally relatable. Um, all right, Marcus, I want to uh, discuss your, your – Stint in the NBA briefly before we get to your Wisconsin days. What did you okay. learn from that experience in in the NBA? You, you mentioned you came up with the Knicks, um, played briefly with them. So you know, even though it was brief, what did you take away from your time in the league? Um, I took away a lot. I t- the main thing is that the NBA is a business, and um, even though you see guys um, that are not in the NBA, it doesn't mean that they're not talented enough to, to play in the NBA. Sometimes the NBA can be about who you know um, just as well as any other job can be. Um, and, and that's kind of you know what I learned from it. It's not a, a thing that, oh, man, I didn't make the NBA or I wasn't there for a long time. Um, I'm a failure. But, it, you know, it's it's just a business. That's what it is. And um, if you look at it that way, you um, you won't be so down on, the fact that you're not in the NBA or, or things like that. I know people can be very down and they, they spend their whole lives, you know, chasing the NBA, but if it, it'll come, you know, if it's meant to come and, uh, it's, it's a place of, of business and it's about who, you know, sometime and, and right timing, you know, sometimes you need the right people to get injured. You need the right people to, to mess up. Um, because there's so many guys coming in and out of college and from overseas and, you know, it's it's tough. It's tough to make the NBA, but it doesn't mean that you can't play. And that's one of the main things I learned from it. So it really keeps me content of where content on where I'm at and how I'm living my life. So I'm very excited and very happy on where I'm at. Sure. So. Can you compare your experiences in the uh, the D League, which is now the G League, as opposed to uh, what you went through overseas? Just the the, the basketball, the travel. Uh, what what was your experience like? Because you were a you were a pretty decorated uh, D League player. You're an All Star. Did well in the three point contest. What were those uh, those period that period of your career like compared to overseas? Um, it, it was good. The D League was good. I was in the D League um, at a point in time where um, all the teams basically didn't own a D League team, so it was a little different. Um, travel was a little different. Hotel stays were a little different, but um, if anything, it, it does compare a little bit to, to being overseas. Um, except for in terms of pay and uh, being in America. I mean, I guess that's the main thing. So um, how does it compare? I think uh, the main thing will probably just be the language. But at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's all just basketball. Yeah. And you can get a uh, meal at, at 3.30, 4.30. Right. <laughs> uh, of course, yeah. All right, Marcus, I want to take it back to your Wisconsin days now because I mentioned at the top uh, you were on some really – Good teams that won a ton of games during your time there. Uh, two thirty-win teams. You had a Big Ten championship team. First Wisconsin squad mm-hmm. to be ranked number one in program history. Um, so when you look back at those seasons, does any one season or memory stand out from your college career above the rest when you uh, when you reflect? 
Um, it's, it's really hard to say. Um, uh, everybody probably knows my story. Um, being in college is a very difficult time for me, you know, um, with uh, getting married and, and having kids and things like that. But I think one of the most memorable moments was the year that I, um, that we won um, the Big Ten uh, championship. And uh, it was very memorable for me because um, it was my junior year. And I just, you know, it, it just made things perfect. You know, it made things, you know, it made me at ease. And winning that and being able to um, share that moment and that experience with my family, my wife and my kids was was just unbelievable. I didn't even know that I would win a Big Ten uh, player of the tournament or whatever it's called. But, um, man, it was just an exciting moment. That's probably one of the, the moments that really stand out to me. Um, it was a lot of fun that year. Yeah, you you alluded to it, and I'm sure, like you said, many fans will remember. You had more responsibilities than the average college athlete, to say the least. You were married with three kids in the college, and uh, you, yeah. like, you go back and read those stories from those days on that extra burden. No, I shouldn't say burden, extra weight you carried on top of that student-athlete workload. So, like, looking back now, 10 years later, you know, you have a family still. What do you take away from the experience of having a, a young family of your own while playing college ball? Um. Wow, seeing seeing some of the things that I've seen, I think that the main thing that is I needed a family at that time. <laughs> I think if I wouldn't have had a family and a wife and kids, that uh, I probably wouldn't have, you know, things probably wouldn't have turned out the way that they did. They they really kept me focused and kept me going. So, yeah. Was it overwhelming at times? Because, I mean, just looking at the average <clears throat> student-athlete's workload, and, you know, even when I was in college, like, I was far from an athlete, and... I was still tired, like, all the time. So I had to imagine it was pretty overwhelming to to carry that load with, with three kids and, and uh, a wife at home. Yeah, I mean, it, it was at times. At times it was very overwhelming. Um, and, you know, I didn't, um, you know, I had a coach that was trying to teach me how to be a man. So at times it was very difficult for me. Um, you know, Bo Ryan, I think that's his main thing. He teaches guys how to be men. And uh, he really taught me a lesson. And um, I didn't like him then for the lessons that he was trying to teach me, but I wouldn't change it for the world, man. I love that guy. He's always been there for me. And, uh, yeah, at times it was very overwhelming, but uh, I made it through, I guess. <laughs> what were some of the methods that uh, Bo Ryan used to, you know, like you said, kind of mold you into a man, even though you guys clashed at times? How, how did he go about doing that? Well, I think it was – he never really said much, but at times uh, he just made – me think about um, the responsibilities I have, and I think that's the main word. If I could use any word, it would be responsibilities. I committed to Wisconsin um, in high school, and also with all of those things that I had going on, a wife and kids, that you know, you still have a responsibility that you need to do in school, in class, and at home, and he never let me off the hook in any of those areas. You know, it was never Oh, getting out of practice early to, to go pick up, you know, my daughter or anything like that. It was, you have a responsibility in all areas and you have to figure out how to make those things work. So, man, I, I love him for that. Do you have any uh, maybe lighter, silly Bo Ryan stories off the top of your head? Because whenever I talk to former Wisconsin players, they always have some goofy story about Bo where he, you know, either a locker room uh, chat that he had or, or experience traveling. You got anything off the top of your head uh, regarding Bo? Man, uh, so so many stories, and so many stories. But I would say the 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 main thing was his 
just his sense of humor. I think that's the one thing I, that I took away from it. Uh, was his sense of humor was just his was crazy. His his jokes, you know how he, you know, perceived things, and he was just a, a, a great guy. When I was there, um, I, I probably have far less stories than some guys because I was kind of focused on so many other things. But um, I think that's one of the main things that stood out for me: his sense of humor and his his stories. Yeah. All right, here's a test to see if some of the stories from your former teammates and uh, fellow Badgers hold up here. Where, where did Bo Ryan sit uh, on an airplane and why? Oh, boy. He sat in the back of the plane, I believe, on the – if you're looking at – if you're in the plane looking back, he sat on the left side and he sat back there because I believe it was that um, if the plane crashed or something like this, he was less likely to die in the plane crash or something like that sitting in that spot. So I believe that was why. Yeah, that's a, that's what sure I heard as well. Right. That's what I heard as well. And that, like I I thought it was hilarious, but then I thought, hold on a second. So he wants to be the one that survives. What about all you guys? <laughs> right. Yeah. We saw. We 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 all sat by the the, the um the, the engine. Yeah, you guys were the sacrificial <laughs> lambs up front, I guess. Um, right. All right. A uh, couple more questions, Marcus, before I let you go. Um, you mentioned the family that uh, you have and, and you had in college. Has it been tough? You know, going to all these stops overseas and going all over the world has it been tough to uh, to do that with a with a family? Um, you know that maybe couldn't come along for all those stops with you. Um, no. Um, I'm one guy that um, when the team gets me, they know what they're getting. They're getting my whole family, so I have to let my game uh, speak loud enough for them to want everybody. So it, it hasn't been tough. Um, at times early on, it, it was tough, um, but. Um, all the good times outweigh that that short stint of time when it was tough early on because I wasn't familiar with overseas. So I'm like, you guys stay home. Let me figure out how this thing works. That was a little tough, but uh, we got the hang of it, man. My kids are amazing. They know, two of my kids know three different languages. And uh, it's just been a great experience for us all. Yeah, I was going to say, it must be uh, an amazing experience, especially for for your young kids to grow up at, around all these cultures and all these experiences and countries, and, and that's got to be pretty cool for you personally to know that uh, you're, you're solely responsible for that. Right, yeah. It's been great, man, yeah. All right. They're um, just learning. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they're just learning every day. I mean, they're around the house talking in different languages and everything like that. It just, you know, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm doing something right. I'm jealous of your kids, Marcus. I couldn't even learn one other language when <laughs> I was in school. Uh. All right, so before I let you go, we got to talk uh, current day Badgers a little bit. I, I assume you keep up with them to this day pretty closely. Yeah, yeah, I, I follow them as much as I can. Yeah. All right, so uh, what are your thoughts on on the current state of the program? You know, obviously Bo is gone, but Greg Gard is at the helm. First season last year uh, that they didn't make the tournament in uh, a couple decades. Where do you think the program is headed now that uh, they kind of can get healthy and reload and um, get some young talent in the in the program? Yeah, I think that's the main thing, getting healthy. Um, they they had to, prior to not making the tournament, they had some unbelievable years um, with Kaminsky and Sam Decker and other guys making the Final Four. So, you know, this, this little hiccup will take. They're a young team, and um, they're only going to get better. I think uh, they'll be right back in the tournament this, this next year, how about regardless when, of how young they are. How about when Purdue and Wisconsin play? Do you and your brother get into it? No, you know what? Not not really. Not really. We don't get into it as much. Part of the reason is because we're like on two separate sides of the you know world. But um, 
I'm sure when we're all done and uh, we're we're living a little closer together, um, I'm sure those battles will continue at some point. Yeah, he's in is he in China now? Yeah, he was in China. Yep. All right. Yep. International family, man. It's it's wild. Um, last question, Marcus. Uh, before I let you go, since you're a star over there in Italy, I have to ask because I'm actually going to Italy next week. So you got to indulge me here for a second. All the listeners got to indulge me okay. here. Uh, never been to Italy. Um, going to Rome and Florence. So if you have anything, any recommendations that I need to check out, I am all ears. All right. Well, there's a place in Florence. I forget the name of it, but uh, if I remember, I'll send it to you. Um, they have what's called a Florentine steak. You can kind of find it anywhere. Try it out. Florence food and everything is really, really good. And if you go to Milan, which you didn't say, if you're going to Milan, if you go to Milan, don't eat in Milan. It will make your experience not so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess in that case, it's lucky I'm not going to Milan. But I'll uh, I'll take you up on that Florence recommendation. I'll be looking out for that. Really appreciate uh, your time. Really appreciate sharing your stories and experiences with me. And, uh, yeah, definitely hit me up with some, some Italy recommendations. And um, I'll, I'll get back to all the listeners with, <laughs> with how, I, uh, how I enjoyed your, your recommendations next week. Will do. Will do. All right, Marcus. Appreciate the time, man. All right. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks once again, Marcus, for joining us. You know, I had to kind of slide that vacation recommendation slash humble bragging at the end. Apologize to all the listeners out there who don't care about where I am. But, uh, you know, I had Marcus on the phone. had to get his uh, Italy recs in, especially since he'd spent so much time there as a basketball player. So shout out to you, Marcus. Appreciate it. And now we'll move on so you don't have to hear about my uh, personal vacation anymore. We'll jump right into our interview now with uh, current Cavaliers, Cleveland Cavaliers radio play-by-play man John Michael. Uh, no, he's not a Big Ten announcer, but he is a Midwestern guy and plenty of overlap there between fans in Ohio, fans of Big Ten teams, and, and fans of the Cavs. So I also want to change it up a little bit and just kind of you know, talk about the flavor of the month, which is LeBron James and his big decision to leave Cleveland for the second time and, and this time sign with the LA Lakers and no better guy to get some insight on that and just talk NBA in general than Mr. Michael, who has uh, spent... Uh, time in Cleveland as the play-by-play man since 2011 and gave us some great insight on not only LeBron but the NBA in general and, and his profession as well as he took kind of an unconventional path to where he is today. So really fun discussion with John and I'll get out of the way so that I can get going right now. It's the Take 10 Podcast discussion with Cavaliers play-by-play man John Michael. It starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by the current radio play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm sure a lot of Big Ten fans in the state of Ohio know his name and his voice. It's John Michael, and you can follow him on Twitter at CavsJMike. John, how's it going this afternoon? I hear you're on a vacation out in the West Coast. How's Portland treating you? It's nice, actually, Alex. Uh, great to be on with you. We're out here uh, for a wedding, so uh, relax and enjoy the weather a little bit, and uh, pleased to join you here today. Thanks for joining me. Uh, glad you're able to join me, especially... Uh, on vacation, I assume this time of year it's a little slower for you, even with the draft uh, just happening and the season in the rearview mirror. I'm sure you have a little bit more time nowadays to kick your feet up a little bit with the uh, the season about a month uh, in the rearview mirror at this point. 
Yeah, it's nice to recharge the batteries a little bit. What's interesting, though, Alex, is, you know, the Cavs this year, of course, picked at number eight, taking Colin Sexton uh, out of Alabama. The Cavs didn't have a single draft pick either the last two seasons. Uh, didn't pick in the first round for themselves over the last three. So it was nice to be back in the mix, uh, back in the lottery again for the Cavaliers. And, of course, uh, with free agency and everything that's taken place over the last five days, uh, it's an interesting time, of course, uh, for this organization right now moving forward. Uh, we're going to see how it all plays out. So, uh, yeah, some interest over the last couple of weeks, of course, with the draft uh, and as this uh, free agency rolls along here in the NBA. Yeah, you mentioned that intrigue. That's a big reason I wanted to have you on here. Your, your NBA team has been the center, really, of the NBA free agency discussion with LeBron James and his decision that uh, came just about a week ago now to leave Cleveland and sign with the L.A. Lakers. So, no, John, you're not a Big Ten guy, but your voice is in that Big Ten footprint and it uh, reaches millions in the Ohio area. So I'll start with this question right off the bat. In your gut, did you know that LeBron, or do you think and have an inkling that LeBron maybe had played his last game at the queue, at least in this contract cycle, last month when he walked off the court uh, during game four of the finals? Yeah, you know what's interesting is that I wasn't sure. I mean, of course we knew that there was a possibility that LeBron would leave in free agency, but I, I truthfully think that at that moment, he didn't know. I, I really believe that, and I think uh, you know that was the case up until maybe a week ago, uh, that he wasn't exactly sure what he was going to do uh, in terms of how things were going to sort out once free agency began. Uh, so I, I wasn't sure, and again, it's it, what's interesting to me is it's such a different scenario, I think, this year, and I've been surprised over the last couple of days. Of course, we all know what happened the first time when LeBron left to go to Miami, uh, you know, the, the hatred and the vitriol and everything that was taking place at that time from fans uh, in Northeast Ohio. But I think now from talking to some people, I'm surprised how many are saying, you know, thanks and good luck and God bless you and, you know, have, do what you need to do out there with the Lakers. Of course, LeBron brought the first title to Northeast Ohio uh, in 52 years since the Lyndon Johnson administration, Alex. So it was a, you know, it was something that meant so much to the area, you know, and LeBron came in, and without LeBron, the Cavs don't win that title, and Cleveland isn't, you know, a city with a championship back in 2016, so a, a little different this time, and, and I think folks, for the most part, yeah, there's some people that are still a little angry, wish he would have finished his career here, but for the most part, I think most people are satisfied, and they say thanks for the title in 2016, and, and best of luck out there on the West Coast. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up, because it's interesting to me, just being on the outside of it, hearing how fans kind of juxtapose the fact that he brought so much joy to that team, the city of Cleveland, with the fact that he ended up leaving twice. So do you think fans, I guess, balance that completely differently just because of the title, or do you think it's because he chose to return in the first place? Like, if they hadn't won uh, a few years ago, do you think fans would feel similarly about him leaving a second time around? Well, I mean, the title is important, obviously, you know, and I think they all, they all, you know, everything that you brought up plays a role in that. And like I said, some fans are still angry, and some fans never forgave him for the first time, you know, so it's all over the charts. But I think a majority of people, at least who I've talked to, you know, do feel like, hey, we won the championship, he did what he needed to do, uh, you know, and off he goes again. Uh, it's a Cavs team right now that, you know, as you looked at it, you look back to last season now, it's in the finals, 2017, or well, let's go back to 2016, okay? The Cavs and the Warriors are a 
about as evenly matched as two teams could be. You know, that game seven is tied at 89 apiece for what seemed like a half hour before Kyrie Irving hit that shot with 52 seconds remaining to put the Cavs up for good. So the Cavs and the Warriors in 2016, about as even as you can get. Then the Warriors go out and, of course, had a four-time scoring champion in Kevin Durant, and we saw what that looked like last season in 2017 with the Warriors winning in five. This year, Warriors effectively the same team, the Cavaliers without Kyrie Irving, and the results were how they played out, you know, and I think as LeBron looked at the situation, this team uh, maybe hit its limit, you know, and I think that's the way he saw it, and he's at the age right now going to be 34 next season, going to be in his 16th year where uh, he wants to win more championships, and he feels that his best chance to do so apparently uh, is out in L.A. with the Lakers, which of course is, you know, they're not ready right now, that team, but it's a landing spot where free agents would gladly come. Kawhi Leonard, of course, is certainly on the radar, so you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how it all played out for LeBron, and uh, I, I think that's you know that has to be the motivation. Championships, not getting to know him a little bit, that's what it's all about for him, just winning. So uh, off he goes to the West Coast. Now the Cavaliers have to regroup and see how uh, you know they're going to make things work over the next couple of months uh, heading into the upcoming season. I'm sure it you know doesn't do any good to look back in this situation and wonder, but do you think the series could have played out differently uh, if they had taken Game One on the road? And, you know, I, I don't want to put the blame wholly on J.R. Smith. You know, there's a free throw that needed to be made there, too. And the Warriors, being who they are, could have easily come down and won the game in the next possession with four seconds left. But do you think that series could, turn out, could have turned out differently in the end had they have won uh, game one in Oakland? It's a great question, and I don't. If you, I don't think you can say. Well, you know, it, it may have turned out differently, but I don't think under any circumstance you can argue that the Cavs, even if they win that game one, we're going to end up winning that series. You know, just in terms of the talent and how we saw the things all play out. But I'll tell you this, Alex, it certainly would have made Golden State sink a little bit in game two. They would have been playing free and easy the way they did in game two if they would have lost game one, uh, and it could have changed some things. I think the Warriors ultimately win that series, even if the Cavs take. That that game one that they felt that they had in their grasp. Like you said, Giorgio with four seconds left, had the second free throw to put the Cavs ahead, uh, missed the shot. JR grabbed the rebound, dribbled to the corner. Of course, we know it took place uh, as that you know came to an end in regulation. I think it might have changed some things, but the overall outcome, I don't think. I, I mean, I think it was the Warriors' series to win once they got Andre Iguodala back on the floor. Uh, to me, that was it, uh, and they rolled, winning four in a row. All right, back to those 16 finals. I'm a Cubs fan, so sorry. Uh, I'm sure you're, you're an Indians fan, and around plenty of Indians fans in Cleveland. But I understand that kind of concept of the eternal drought that seemed like it would never end as far as titles go. So can you put into words what that championship meant to that part of the country, the city of Cleveland, Northeast Ohio? You know, like, as a Cubs fan, I don't have to tell you, but there were stories of fans, you know, generational fans who had been brought up, and it just meant so much to them. So do you have any stories that you witnessed covering that uh, championship team a couple years ago? Well, I can tell you 1.3 million of our closest friends came out after the Cows won that title uh, and just packed the streets of Cleveland. I mean, right, being able to ride on top of a limo and, and go down those streets and just see the faces. And it was, you know, young, old, men, women, the, you know, different races and nationalities and everything else all together. And and it was just a huge sigh of relief, like a finally, you know. And it that remember that game 7-2 had all the makings of the Cavs, you know, not being able to win that game. You know, they were down. 
down at the half. J.R. Smith had a huge third quarter. Cavs had to come from behind. They were down 3-1, of course. We all know that uh, in the series that uh, no team had ever climbed out of a 3-1 hole before uh, in the NBA Finals. So it was, it was such a sigh of relief, I think, for so many people. Because, you know, Cleveland, you know, we, we know about the Cubs, but I think the city of Cleveland, you know, we're looking at the Browns, we're looking at the Indians, and all the things that have taken place, you know, the drive, the Jose Mesa, you know, blowing the save, uh, and everything else that took place with the Cavs, or the, the Cleveland teams being unable to win a title. It wasn't just the Cavs, it was a city that we're talking about that hadn't won in 52 years, in over five decades. So uh, it, it, it was really special. And uh, to walk off that plane and to see the, the thousands and thousands of people that drove out just to get a glimpse of these guys coming off the plane with the Larry O'Brien trophy was special stuff and something I'll never forget. And I think that's part, I you know, tying that back into what we were talking before, Alex, I think that's a big part of why fans right now are feel a lot different about LeBron James departing because he, of course, was such a huge part of bringing that to Northeast Ohio, something that you know most fans hadn't experienced in their lifetime. I mean, it was the Browns uh, that had won the previous title before there was even a Super Bowl. You know, it was the NBA, NFL championship. So uh, special times. And uh, like I said, that parade with 1.3 million people to, to see these players uh, and what they did for the reason was something special and then something I'll never forget. Definitely appreciate that perspective. And you had a, such a unique perspective being behind the scenes around LeBron, especially during his second stint in Cleveland. Uh, you started, I believe, back in 2011 as a play-by-play guy. For the Cavs, so how well did you get to know LeBron over the years covering him? Uh, LeBron the person more than uh, LeBron the player. There's something that you, you know, just being around him all the time, and it sounds cliche-like, but he literally is the first player in the gym and the last player to leave. And to see him at his first training camp, okay, and we're talking about, it might have been the first day, Alex, he was, he knew not only where he needed to be in this completely new offense, he knew where everybody else needed to be in day one of training camp, and it was special to see, and the way he takes care of his body and everything else, I mean, he runs by it, it was the same day, he runs by in training camp, you know when a car passes you outside and you hear that whoosh, <laughs> that kind of a sound, that's what it sounds like when LeBron James at full speed runs past you, and to see all of the work and everything that it takes to make himself that special, I, I, that really defines to me LeBron James. I mean, there are players who are talented, and there are other players who are driven, but the players who have that God-given ability and who are ultra-driven and put it all together, that's when you have the guys who are in the conversation for the best player in the world. And that's what LeBron James is. I think he's the best player in the world right now. I think you look at back at all the greats, and it makes for some great you know, barbershop discussion, uh, barroom discussion, but no question he's among the greatest of all time. He's, he does more on the basketball floor than anybody else has ever done in terms of his passing and his scoring and his rebounding and everything else that he's brought to the table. And, and it's all because of the hard work so you know when you talk about perspective that's the first thing you notice with LeBron is that he is driven and he puts in the time not just on the floor but with his body as well taking care of himself and that's why he's gotten the results that he has throughout his 15-year career all right my next question might be a challenging one because LeBron is a guy who's under such a spotlight and has been for his entire adult life so everyone's always you know trying to peel back those layers understand him get a piece of him so is there anything you can think of uh, about LeBron, characteristics or qualities regarding him as a person you think that the majority of people out there might not know about him? 
That's interesting. I mean, he's he is a guy who's had a microphone, you know, and a camera in his face since he's been 18 years of age. But the way that he consistently deals with the media, and he's always available. You know, he doesn't shy away from the media. He knows he's going to get the same, sometimes dumb questions over and over and over again. Uh, and the way that he puts up with it and handles it gracefully is is special. You know, and it's taken. He's, yes, he's calculated. You know, and yes, he has a way of dealing with the media. But just to to see him have to deal with this all the time is something and to see the crowds line up just to get a glimpse of this guy coming out of the hotel and to get on the team bus and for him to still be a normal guy which he is is special I mean it's really something to watch and until you are around something like that you wouldn't believe it you know just people clamoring just to get a glimpse of the guy just to look at him just to you know give him a high five uh, on the way from the hotel into the team bus uh, it's something so it's a it's a life you know that he has to adjust to it again yes he's making millions upon millions and millions of dollars and it is a glamorous life but it ain't easy you know to have people grabbing at you always wanting something all the time so uh, he's he's handled it with grace uh, again i think that's something that people in northeast ohio have recognized he gives back tons i mean millions upon millions of dollars to the community uh, you know what he's done in Akron. He, he pays for the education of the tons of students in Akron uh, to go on to college so those those kind of behind the scenes things are what you see when he's part of your organization and I think it's part of you know what's made him special and what's made him an icon uh, in the NBA yeah I'm glad you pointed that out because I do think people overlook kind of the day-to-day life of a superstar athlete you know they always have to be available for the media and and someone like LeBron it's good to hear that you know he's he's always been there and present and and, uh, available so I think fans at a national level definitely might not know that and I'm glad you, you pointed that out um John, I want to move on uh, to some broader NBA talk because talk of the league right now is the Warriors and the kind of power imbalance that has shifted even further in their favor and, and in favor of the Western Conference. So I just want to get your thoughts on, on DeMarcus Cousins joining the Warriors and tilting that power imbalance even further in their favor. And, and it's kind of odd because the league is so popular right now, but one team is just so much better than the rest, I think. So what, what are your thoughts on the latest power shift in the NBA? Well, first off, I have no, I have zero issues with Cousins signing with Golden State uh, on either side. You know, I mean, Cousins reportedly wasn't given any any offers by anybody, and, and he's taking a chance on himself. I mean, he signed a relatively small contract. He was, you know, they they tried to re up him in New Orleans, giving him reportedly a two year deal, twenty million per, uh, and he said, no, you know, I'm gonna take a chance on myself, uh, not just you know coming to a Warriors team, but I'm making a lot less money. It's crowded there at the end. I mean, he's not gonna get the the touches, obviously that he would with really any other team uh, in the NBA. But I don't think you fault Cousins. I don't think you fault the Warriors. I mean, he gave him a call after he didn't get a lot of interest. The Warriors said, obviously, sure, you know, come aboard. Uh, so uh, I don't have a problem with any of that. In terms of the, the power shift, yeah, I mean, Golden State clearly was the best team. Houston was close. I mean, Houston played them pretty well, obviously, uh, in the Western Conference Finals. But I think right now those are the two teams to beat in the NBA. What's funny to me, Alex, is that so many people are saying, oh, well, you know, Where's parody gone in the NBA? Let's think about it. You know, since you and I have been alive, has there ever been parody in the NBA? Not really. You know, I mean, the, the top every season when you go in to the NBA, there are maybe four or five top six teams that really have a legit chance to win. And there's no other sport where you can say that. I mean, football's different. Baseball's different. Hockey, obviously, is different. I mean, so many teams can jump up and get hot at the right time and win the whole thing. That's, that's not the way it's been in basketball. I mean, you look at the, the, the 
teams. The, the Bulls were a dominant team for a decade. It was the Celtics and the Lakers for a whole decade as well. So, uh, you know, again, I don't. The NBA has never really been about parity. And yeah, boy, does Golden State look strong right now? You know, obviously Houston does as well. But this is a league that has thrived and excelled without parity, and that continues right now to be the case, because in basketball, you're either part of the haves or part of the have-nots, and just, you know, in my experience with the Cavaliers prior to LeBron, what were you playing for? You were playing, hopefully, to make the playoffs, hopefully to develop some players uh, to get better, to be in a position like Kyrie Irving, like Tristan Thompson, to win a title at some point, and then LeBron comes, and you're part of the haves. You're part of that elite group that actually has a chance to win the whole thing, so I don't think it's it's not like, for those, you know, when you hear people People saying, oh, parody's gone in the NBA. Parody was never a part of the NBA. This is just the way it is. Uh, you know. And, and now, yeah, optically it does appear that Golden State far and away has the best team in the NBA. We're going to see how it plays out. I mean, obviously injuries and everything else could take place. But I, I think parody has really never been a part of the NBA. And I don't fault Golden State or DeMarcus Cousins one bit for, for teaming up and trying to get stronger if you're the Warriors and try to win a title if you're DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, and to your point, we're not that far away from, from this whole kind of landscape looking different because you pointed out Houston taking uh, Golden State to, to seven games and falling short last year. Before KD left OKC to, to join the Warriors, they had the chance to eliminate Golden State in 2016 as yep. well. So, there, I mean, there's two years where the Warriors came really close to not even reaching the finals. So I do agree that, you know, it, it, there's still a whole season to play out. You never know with injuries. And, and the Golden State – Empire has to fall apart at some point. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, but uh, yeah, I definitely agree with your point that um, you know it, nothing is guaranteed, nothing's for sure. Um, I want to look into the uh, future of the Cavs while I have you here because I feel like a lot of NBA fans will kind of forget about the Cavs without LeBron, and there are pl- so many LeBron fans out there that just follow him wherever he goes, and and uh, you'll be still in Cleveland, still calling a uh, Cavs games, and and it's going to be a new look Cavs team. So. With the first-round pick of Colin Sexton and with the uh, remaining cast of characters you guys have there, what do you think the future holds for the Cleveland Cavaliers you guys try and rebuild after LeBron's departure? Well, first off, they love Sexton. They're excited about him. I mean, he's a kid with elite speed and quickness. You know, he's an explosive leaper. He finishes as well. But I think the thing they like the most, Alex, is he's competitive and he competes on that defensive end. You know, he's been described as the meanest dude on the court. Uh, Villanova's head coach, Jay Wright, called him the most dynamic guard that Villanova played all season. And we know who, who they've played over the last couple of years. So uh, they're excited about him. Uh, you know, Teron Lou was beaming, uh, you know, at the Colin Sexton press conference that he actually can develop a player you know that's not you're not in the business of player development when LeBron James is on your team you're in the business of winning a title and winning a title now you know like I said the Cavs didn't have draft picks they traded them away to surround LeBron as they should have with talent to win titles and to get to the finals for four consecutive years and they're not going to look like that anymore you know it's interesting Dan Gilbert you know reportedly has paid more uh, in terms of luxury tax than any of the, the you know the 29 other owners combined so that now the Cavs still without LeBron reportedly are over the over the cap limit. So I have a feeling that before, you know, the ball hits the hardwood in game one, this team's gonna look a little bit different. I think some of those contracts likely will be shed. We'll see. You know, the Cavs still want to be competitive. They don't want to drop off the face of the earth. Uh, but uh, but I do think this team likely will look a little bit differently. 
see what kind of deals that Kobe Allman, Cavs GM, uh, comes up with or is given or is offered over the next couple of weeks and the next couple of months. So, uh, yeah, obviously we're going to see a change. You know, no LeBron James, but they're excited about some of the young guys. You know, they picked up uh, at the trade deadline. Of course, they had the seismic shift, six players out, four players in. Uh, so players like Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, they do have some youth, uh, you know, that they can work with. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. Obviously, it's a, a different shift. I mean, in the you know, when you look at the cycle of the NBA, the Cavs are going to have to shift into trying to rebuild a team to get back to another NBA Finals. So that's, you know, the part of the cycle where the Cavs are right now. And, and like I said, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, to see some of these younger players and to try to develop them uh, as we get ready for this NBA season. Yeah, I don't know if you saw this, but Big Ten fans, especially Minnesota basketball fa- fans, saw uh, how special Colin Sexton was firsthand yeah. for Alabama when they, I think there was a fight in that in a game against Minnesota, and uh, right. Alabama had to go three on five, and, and Sexton almost brought the team of three all the way back to beat five dudes on Minnesota, which was which was insane. So uh, you said you're you're acknowledging it like you saw it, so you kind of saw that talent on full display there. Yeah, no question. And again, for those, yeah, you described it well, Alex. I mean, they, there was an altercation. Alabama had up with three players. It was at the Barclays Center uh, in Brooklyn, and literally, they they got cl- they were losing at the time. They got closer. They outplayed the five players during a stint that was you know a handful of minutes long. I mean, we're not talking about like a couple of you know thirty seconds or a couple of possessions. They played three on five and actually outplayed Minnesota for a large majority of that time and almost uh, won the doggone game. So. They love him. I mean, they're excited about Colin Sexton and what he brings. Like I said, you know, this is a Cavs team. I think the Cavs would be the first to admit they could have used a little more edge, a little more bite, you know, particularly on that defensive end, a little more physicality. Uh, They were lacking that during stints at times last season. So uh, this guy's, you know, what the doctor ordered for this team, and and hopefully the Cavs can build around the young man uh, as they roll forward. All right, John. Well, I appreciate all of your Cavs insight. Uh, A lot of fun. Talking about LeBron, talking about the future of the Cavs, but I also want to get into your background a little bit because uh, when I have sports media personalities on the show, I like to delve into their backgrounds and kind of discuss their paths and, and hear about how they got to where they are. So you have a unique path. Um, I read that you started as a lawyer and, and left the practice and kind of pursued your passion of calling sports. So can you get into that journey and, and how you decided to take on sports broadcasting as an undertaking? Sure. It's funny, whenever, you know, would-be broadcasters, younger guys ask me, hey, you know, what did you study? What did you do to get into the business? I always say, I'll tell you, but whatever you do, don't do it this way. There's a lot easier ways, a lot easier ways to get into the business than doing what I did. But yeah, I went to law school uh, at Notre Dame. I went there undergrad as well. I was a mechanical engineer undergrad. I uh, went to law school and MBA school. I uh, thought I was going to be a trial attorney, and I was. I, I Worked for the largest firm uh, in Western Pennsylvania, uh, practicing law. I was a trial attorney, but I, I always had the itch. I mean, I've been a sports guy. I don't really have any hobbies other than playing and, and watching sports. So, you know, one like you know, in a lot of places in the Midwest. In Pittsburgh on Friday nights, you know, high school football is king, you know, and you, you drive around on a Friday night, you go up and down the dial, you can hear, you know, 10, 15 football games. And one night I said, you know what, I'd like to give that a shot. I think that's, that's something that I could do. So I went home, I, I put together a, a tape. I saw I had an old ESPN classic game on television. I got the rosters and everything else, called the game, made a tape, sent it to a company. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, a week later, they said, one of our guys got sick. Can you, you know, do a 
high school football game. And I said, of course. Then I hung up and I totally panicked because I had no idea what I was doing at all, you know. But I went and did it, you know, made whatever it was, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, and had the time of my life. And, uh, you know, a couple of days later, they said, can you do next week as well? I said, yeah. And suddenly football season became basketball and hockey season. And so I was practicing law. I was in court taking depositions during the day. And at night I was moonlighting, you know, calling high school and small college games in Pittsburgh. Uh, after a couple of years, I got an offer to do minor league baseball. It was single A, Hagerstown, Maryland. It was a single A affiliate of the Giants at the time. And I had one of those now or never moments. You know, I said, if I don't roll the dice now and, and take a shot, I may never do whatever. So I did. I set the practice of law aside. I went and did it. My six-figure salary turned into low four-digit salary overnight. Uh, but I gave it a shot. You know, I did a season of minor league baseball. I went on to minor league hockey from there. And then six years later, I was in the NHL with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I was, you know, fortunate that the right people heard me at the right time. Uh, and after I was with the Blue Jackets for a couple of seasons, got a call from the Cavs to do play-by-play. And I said, sure. So uh, it's been great. And then what a magical run. I mean, the Cavs four times to the finals and like I said uh, riding down the, the middle of the street with 1.3 million of our closest friends uh, after the Cavs won the title uh, it's been pretty special but you know the advice I'd give the young guys is you know you're going to have to do you're going to have to grind it out you know and I, I had to grind it out in the minors for a handful of seasons uh, before I got my shot but yeah you're going to have to grind it out you might have to move to cities that, that aren't, uh, aren't your favorite cities in the world and you might have to work for next to nothing but uh, hey it's a way to get into the business if you really love it it won't feel like work uh, and it hasn't for me since uh, since i made that choice to put law aside and to, and to give this thing a run yeah i was, I was reading uh, an article about your background and, and when you called minor league baseball it said uh well you were a legitimate jack of all trades because it said you were literally putting the tarp on the field and during rain delays so was there ever a time when you were grinding through all this that uh you thought you know it might not work out or, or are you sitting here now and, and looking back and like man i can't believe that worked out or did you never really have any doubt no, all the time. You have doubts all the time, and you're right. I mean, that's actually more normal than you might think, Alex, at that level. I mean, you have to do, you have to sell, you have to, you know, try to move tickets, and yeah, during rain delays, I had to send it back, send it back to the studio, pull my boots on, run down, pull out the tarp, come back, you're soaked, you're muddy, everything else, and and get it back, and then call, you know, <laughs> then talk during the rain delay. So yeah, that's the way it works. But you doubt it all the time, and you know, I, you know, after four years of being an attorney, you have some savings saved up. But after a couple of seasons, I ran out of money, you know, and basically had to move up in the minors the next year or the dream was over. And the sad part of it is, you know, most of these stories end up with guys either getting stuck in the minors for their entire career or basically running out of either money or patience and and having to go back. And that's what, you know, again, I feel blessed and fortunate for this thing to work out. But, yeah, you want to talk about doubts all the time. I mean, you know, I'm carrying tarp. You know, it was a month before I was in my, you know, high executive office office getting served breakfast from the secretary and everything else and meanwhile a month later you're you're running around in the mud and everything else and not getting paid and wondering you know what i'm doing out here so yeah i think doubt creeps into it all the time but again i like i said if, if you have the passion for it you know and the willingness to try to stick it out and, and, and do what you need to do to, to climb the ladder uh, that's what you need in, in this business because it's not easy it's a difficult road uh and you know like i said if you don't love it uh, you're in the wrong business so you probably should be doing something else I saw on your social media feed uh, pictures of you back in 2016 celebrating in that Cavs locker room, uh, doused in, in booze and alcohol and uh, celebrating with, <laughs> with the team. So I just want, if you could, uh, you to put that feeling into words because I can't imagine it's anything other than just like the best feeling in the world. And it's probably the only way that, 
you know, a, uh, if you're not an athlete, that you can kind of take part in that whole celebration is by being being a broadcaster. So, can you uh, describe that feeling? What that was like? It's almost, you know, when it happens, you almost don't think about it until a couple days later. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it's the adrenaline. I mean, I we just called a game seven victory you know the Cavs have just won the title as a broadcaster that's you know that's what you dream of doing you know calling the game winning moments in a game seven and you know <laughs> sending it back to Ohio where you know the, the entire state hears your call and everything else and it's it's unbelievable but then you go down the locker room and everybody's going crazy and you're getting squirted like with the champagne uh, and everything else like you said uh, it's unbelievable but it didn't really hit me and again I don't know if it was lack of sleep or what it was but it doesn't hit you for a couple of days and I think it was after the parade that you just sit back and you say that that was one of the most incredible things that anyone could imagine and and we were right in the middle of it you know you almost think when uh, this is you know you're going to talk about the grass always being greener we saw the shots of they had you know obviously a large screen TV out between Quicken Loans Arena and Progressive Field where there were thousands and thousands of people watching that game seven and when you know Kyrie hit the shot and when the final you know horn sounded and the place went bananas and I, all I could think to myself was man I'd love to be in the middle of that meanwhile I was the one calling game seven out in Oakland at the same time but my point of it all is that it, it takes you a while after that all happens to really kind of think back and say boy that was me right in the middle of the locker room that was me calling that Game seven, uh, just a, a special time, and to see the the true emotion, and to see—I mean, that is the, the, such a grind for these guys for you know eight months of the season, uh, playing and playing and, and working through injuries and everything else that they went through to, to finally get to that moment. Some of the veterans who had never won a title, Richard Jefferson comes to mind. You know, he bounced around the league for years, but he's in that locker room. He finally is able to sit down and exhale and say. I did it. You know, I did it. And that made it all worth it. All the sacrifice, not just in the pros, but growing up and everything else and seeing the parents in there and the families of uh, being able to celebrate it with them. Just uh, sheer emotion and something, no question, I'll ever forget. All right, John, one more question before we wrap up. Uh, it's hard not to look down the road because LeBron's on a four-year deal and he's still at the top of his game in L.A. Uh, for the next four years at least. So do you think there's any chance that down the road, maybe 2022 or beyond, that we see a second homecoming and a third stint in Cleveland for LeBron James, maybe with his son Bronny in tow, who knows. Uh, do you, can you envision that happening, uh, one more victory lap in Cleveland? Well, anything could happen. I mean, it, it's hard to say. I think I think he'd like to finish that way, you know, to, to cap it off, especially, man, his son, who's fantastic, by the way. I mean, what a what a beautiful ending that would be uh, to his career. But, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's so far off, you know, four years from now and everything else. And who knows what he's going to accomplish in L.A.? You know, who knows what kind of a teammate, teammates he's going to get out there and if they can make a run and, and conquer the Western Conference and do some special things. So, uh, yeah, I think it would be a nice fairy tale ending. <laughs> but... But four years is a long way off from right now. It's like uh, LeVar Ball, just speak into existence, John. Speak into existence. <laughs> All right, John, uh, like I said, very generous with your time. I appreciate you jumping on, especially while on vacation. And a ton of great Cavs insight, great LeBron insight, and uh, best of luck to you guys as you forge ahead without LeBron James in the years to come. Oh, my pleasure, Alex. You do a great job. I uh, appreciate being on with you. Absolutely. All right, thanks so much again to Marcus and John for joining me. I uh, hope you enjoyed the uh, Big Ten contribution from Marcus Landry. A lot of good stuff from him. And then, you know, we stepped outside the conference a little bit to talk to John Michael, but I think it definitely, uh, you know, never hurts to, to get some 
wider sports perspective on the show, and uh, I'm sure a lot of Ohio fans, Ohio State, Columbus area fans, and maybe even in Michigan as well, are uh, Cavaliers fans and enjoyed that conversation. And I hope fans of you know just sports in general enjoyed that conversation. So I always like to get behind the scenes and, and talk to people who have that access and, and people who can put it as eloquently as John did. Um, don't come around every day. So I really appreciate him taking some time in his vacation to jump on the show. And I hope everyone out there, you know, whether you're on vacation or just enjoying the summer at home, continues to kick back, relax, and uh, enjoy this show every week or so when it comes out. Appreciate everyone, as always, for listening as we uh, get closer here to Football Media Days, Big Ten Football Media Days, which is uh, just a couple weeks away. We'll have more Big Ten content coming at you here on the Take Ten Podcast, so stay tuned. Shout out, as always, to Wes White for producing the show, and we will talk to you next time here on the Take Ten Podcast.